0: Volume 3, Chapter 12 of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald. Volume 3, Chapter 12. During the illness of Rushbrook news had been sent of his danger, from the servants in town to those at Elmwood House, and Lady Matilda expressed compassion when she was told of it. She began to conceive the instant she thought he would soon die that his visit to her had merit rather than impertinence in its design, and that he might possibly be a more deserving man than she had supposed him to be. Even Sanford and Miss Woodley began to recollect qualifications he possessed which they had never reflected on before, and Miss Woodley in particular reproached herself that she had been so severe and inattentive to him. Notwithstanding the prospects his death pointed out to her, it was with infinite joy she heard he had recovered. Nor was Sanford less satisfied, for he had treated the young man too unkindly not to dread lest any ill should befall him. But although he was glad to hear of his restored health, when he was informed he was coming down to Elmwood house for a few days in the style of its master, Sanford, with all his religious and humane principles, could not help thinking that if the lad had been properly prepared to die he had been as well out of the world as in it. He was still less his friend when he saw him arrive with his usual florid complexion had he come pale and sickly Sandford had been kind to him but in apparently good health and spirits he could not form his lips to tell him he was glad to see him on his arrival matilda who for five months had been at large secluded herself as she would have done upon the arrival of lord elmwood but with far different sensations notwithstanding her restriction on the latter occasion the residence of her father in that house had been a source of pleasure rather than of sorrow to her but from the abode of Rushbrook she derived punishment alone. When, from inquiries, Rushbrook found that on his approach Matilda had retired to her own confined apartments, the thought was torture to him. It was the hope of seeing and conversing with her, of being admitted at all times to her society as the mistress of the house that had raised his spirits and effected his perfect cure beyond any other cause, and he was hurt. To the greatest degree at this respect, or rather contempt shown to him by her retreat. It was, nevertheless, a subject too delicate for him to touch upon in any one sense. An invitation for her company on his part might carry the appearance of superior authority, and an affected condensation which he justly considered as the worst of all insults. And yet how could he support the idea that his visit had placed the daughter of his benefactor as a dependent stranger in that house, where in reality he was the dependent and she the lawful heir. For two or three days he suffered the torment of these reflections, hoping that he should come to an explanation of all he felt by a fortunate meeting with Miss Woodley. But when that meeting occurred, though he observed she talked to him with less reserve than she had formerly done, and even gave some proofs of the native goodness of her disposition, Yet she scrupulously avoided naming Lady Matilda, and when he diffidently inquired of her health a cold restraint overspread Miss Woodley's face, and she left him instantly. To Sanford it was still more difficult for him to apply, for though frequently together they were never sociable, and as Sanford seldom disguised his feelings, to Rushbrook he was always extremely severe and sometimes unmannerly. In this perplexed situation the country air was rather of detriment than service to the invalid, and had he not, like a true lover, clung fast to hope, while he could perceive nothing but despair, he would have returned to town rather than by his stay here have placed in a subordinate state the object of his adoration. Persisting in his hopes, he one morning met Miss Woodley in the garden, and, engaging her a longer time than usual in conversation, at last obtained her promise. She would that day dine with him and Mr. Sandford, but no sooner had she parted from him than she repented of her consent, and upon communicating it Matilda for the first time in her life darted upon her kind companion a look of the most cutting reproach and haughty resentment. Miss Woodley's own sentiments had upbraided her before, but she was not prepared to receive so pointed a mark of disapprobation from her young friend till now duteous and humble to her as to a mother and not less affectionate. Her heart was too susceptible to bear this disrespectful and contumelious frown from the object of her long devoted care and concern. The tears instantly covered her face, and she laid her hand upon her heart as if she thought it would break. Matilda was moved, but she possessed too much of the manly restraint of her father to discover what she felt for the first few minutes. Miss Woodley, who had given so many tears to her sorrow, but never till now one to her anger, had a deeper sense of this indifference than of the anger itself, and to conceal what she suffered left the room. Matilda, who had been till this time working at her needle, seemly composed, now let her work drop from her hand, and sat for a while in a deep reverie. At length she rose up and followed Miss Woodley to the other apartment she entered grave majestic and apparently serene while her poor heart fluttered with a thousand distressing sensations she approached miss woodley who was still in tears with silence and awed by her manners the faithful friend of her deceased mother exclaimed dear lady matilda think no more on what i have done do not resent it any longer and on my knees i beg your pardon Miss Woodley rose as she uttered these last words, but Matilda laid fast hold of her to prevent the posture she offered to take, and instantly assumed it herself. Oh, let this be my atonement, she cried with the most earnest supplication. They interchanged forgiveness, and as this reconciliation was sincere, they each, without reserve, gave their opinion upon the subject that had caused the misunderstanding, and it was agreed an apology should be sent to Mr. Rushbrook that Miss Woodley had been suddenly indisposed, nor could this be said to differ from the truth, for since what had passed she was unfit to pay a visit. Rushbrook, who had been all the morning elated with the advance he supposed he had made in that lady's favour, was highly disappointed, vexed, and angry when this apology was delivered. Nor did he, nor perhaps could he, conceal what he felt, although his severe observer Mr. Sanford was present. "'I am a very unfortunate man,' said he, as soon as the servant was gone who brought the message. Samford cast his eyes upon him with a look of surprise and contempt. "'A very unfortunate man, indeed, Mr. Samford,' repeated he, "'although you treat my complaint contemptuously.' Samford made no reply and seemed above making one. They sat down to dinner. Rushbook ate scarce anything, but drank frequently. Sanford took no notice of either, but had a book, which was his custom when he dined with persons whose conversation was not interesting to him, laid by the side of his plate which he occasionally looked into as the dishes were removing or other opportunities served. Rushbrook, now more hopeless than ever of forming an acquaintance with Lady Matilda, began to give way to symptoms of despondency and they made their first attack by urging him to treat, with the same level of familiarity that he himself was treated, Mr. Sanford, to whom he had till now ever behaved with the most profound tokens of respect. Come, said he to him as soon as the dinner was removed, lay aside your book and be good company. Sanford lifted up his eyes upon him, stared in his face, and cast them on the book again. Pshaw, continued Rushbrook. "'I want a companion, and as Miss Woodley has disappointed me, I must have your company.' Samford now laid his book down upon the table, but still holding his fingers in the pages he was reading, said, "'And why are you disappointed of Miss Woodley's company? When people expect what they have no right to hope, tis impertinent assurance to complain they are disappointed.' "'I had a right to hope she would come,' answered Rushbrook, "'for she promised she would.' but what right had you to ask her? The right everyone has to make his time pass as agreeably as he can, but not at the expense of another. I believe, Mr. Sanford, it would be a heavy expense to you to see me happy. I believe it would cost you even your own happiness. That is a price I have not now to give, replied at Sanford, and began reading again. What? You have already paid it anyway? No wonder that, At your time of life it should be gone. But what do you think of my having already squandered mine?" "'I don't think about you,' returned Sanford, without taking his eyes from the book. "'Can you look me in the face and say that, Mr. Sanford? No, you cannot, for you know you do think of me, and you know you hate me.' Here he drank two glasses of wine, one after another. "'And I can tell you why you hate me,' continued he. "'It is from a cause for which I often hate myself.' Sanford read on. It is on Lady Matilda's account you hate me and use me thus. Sanford put down the book hastily and put both his hands by his side. Yes, resumed Rushbrook. you think I'm wronging her. I think you insult her, exclaimed Sanford, by this rude mention of her name, and I command you at your peril to desist. At my peril, Mr. Sanford, do you assume the authority of my Lord Elmwood? "'I do on this occasion, and if you dare give your tongue a freedom—' Rushbrook interrupted him. "'Why, then, I boldly say—and as a friend you ought rather to applaud than resent it—I boldly say that my heart suffers so much for her situation that I am regardless of my own. I love her father, I loved her mother more, but I love her beyond either.' "'Hold your licentious tongue,' cried Sanford, "'or quit the room.' "'Licentious?' Ah, oh, the pure thoughts that dwell in her innocent mind are not less sensual than mine toward her do you upbraid me with my respect my pity for her they are the sensations which impel me to speak this undisguised even to you my open no even worse my secret enemy insult me as you please mr rushbrook but beware how you mention lord elmwood's daughter Can it be to her dishonor that I pity her, that I would quit the house this moment never to return so that she supplied the place I withhold from her? Go then, cried Sanford. It would be of no use to her, or I would. But come, Mr. Sanford, I will dare do as much as you. Only second me, and I will entreat Lord Elmwood to be reconciled, to see and own her. Your vanity would be equal to your temerity. You entreat? She must greatly esteem those paternal favors which your entreaties gained her. Do you forget, young man, how short a time it is since you were entreated for? I prove that I do not, while this anxiety for Lady Matilda arises from what I feel on that account. Remove your anxiety, then, from her to yourself, for were I to let Lord Elmwood know what has now passed, it is for your own sake, not for mine, if you do not. "'You shall not dare me to it, Mr. Rushbrook,' and he rose from his seat. "'You shall not dare me to do you an injury. But to avoid the temptation, I will never again come into your company, unless my friend, Lord Elmwood, be present to protect me and his child from your insults.' Rushbrook rose in yet more warmth than Sandford. "'Have you the injustice to say that I have insulted Lady Matilda?' "'To speak of her at all!' is in you an insult. But you have done more, you have dared to visit her, to force into her presence and shock her with your offers of services which she scorns, and with your compassion which she is above. Did she complain to you? She or her friend did. I rather suppose, Mr. Sandford, that you have bribed some of the servants to reveal this. The suspicion becomes Lord Elmwood's heir, IT BECOMES THE MAN WHO LIVES IN A HOUSE WITH YOU.' "'I thank you, Mr. Rushbrook, for what has passed this day. It has taken a weight off my mind. I thought my disinclination to you might perhaps arise from prejudice. This conversation has relieved me from those fears, and I thank you.' Saying this, he calmly walked out of the room and left Rushbrook to reflect on what he had been doing. Heated with the wine he had drank, and which Sanford engaged in his book had not observed, no sooner was he alone than he became by degrees cool and repentant. What had he done, was the first question to himself. He had offended Sanford, the man whom reason as well as prudence had ever taught him to respect and even to revere. He had grossly offended the firm friend of Lady Matilda by the unreserved and wanton use of her name. All the retorts he had uttered came now to his memory, with a total forgetfulness of all that Sanford had said to provoke him. He once thought to follow him and beg his pardon, but the contempt with which he had been treated, more than all the anger, withheld him. As he sat forming plans how to retrieve the opinion, ill as it was, which Sanford formerly entertained of him, he received a letter from Lord Elmwood. Kindly inquiring after his health and saying that he should be down early in the following week. Never were the friendly expressions of his uncle half so welcome to him, for they served to soothe his imagination racked with Sanford's wrath and his own displeasure. Chapter twelve Volume three Recording by Joyce Martin